Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we're talking about a way of changing the landscape to build community and improve physical health and safety. We're talking about trail development in Milledgeville. I'm talking today with two community members who've been advocating for, planning, and promoting community trails in Milledgeville and Middle Georgia. Joining me in the studio are Doug Honor and Jim Lidstone. Gentlemen, welcome to WRGC Studio. Thanks for having us, Daniel. Glad to be here. Pleasure is mine. Happy to be talking about this subject with y'all today. And as we head off in that direction, I thought I'd ask y'all, when we talk about trails, what is it that we're talking about? Can we define that for our audience? Well, trails are usually off-road, off the beaten path. And I think the big thing with trails is you want them to connect to places that people want to get to. So they can be for recreation, they can be for transportation. Usually they're multimodal, which means that it could be for a bicyclist. They're wide enough that a cyclist and somebody who's walking, jogging or whatever can use the trail simultaneously. So that's really, you know, my definition is uh, a path that goes somewhere so that people can uh, get to where they need to get to. Absolutely, Jim. In a sense, you know, you could think of a sidewalk as a path because it does connect along the roadway. But unfortunately, many of our sidewalks are right next to busy highways, and they don't have a whole lot of amenities for people who are out doing recreational walking. And imagine you were a family of four and pushing a stroller going next to Columbia Street during rush hour. It doesn't sound like it would be all that much fun just to get out and go see nature. So oftentimes paths will go through parts of the community that are not right next to roads. In many cases, they'll go through right-of-ways along utility easements or maybe along creeks where you can see a lot more of nature and you can hear the birds and you get a sense of peace and it's very relaxing. And you can go for a really good stroll because you have a place to go. And oftentimes you can get from one neighborhood to a village or a market or downtown. And what we're proposing for Milledgeville is a way of connecting neighborhoods to the features we have here, including where people live and where they want to get to. We've talked about a number of reasons why people use trails and paths and why we might consider making them. And I think, you know, obviously trails are probably at the genesis of our understanding of this country and have been a modes of transportation since the beginning of time. But it seems like we're talking about them a lot more now. Is there any reason why these are kind of coming back into favor and why we're considering them more for our communities? Oh, without a doubt. I think we're not turning against the vehicle exactly. But since the 1970s, there's been a lot of literature that has proven that people spend too much time in the cars and it's not good for them. It keeps them cramped up. It makes them aggressive. It's not a good form of exercise. And if you can get from one place to another and get your business done without having to use a vehicle and burn gasoline and contribute to global warming, then it would be good for you to do that if you have time. And so what we're proposing is ways to get people moving around that are healthy, safe, beneficial, and relatively cheap. Actually, a lot cheaper than building highways. For a family that may be struggling on a budget, transportation costs, if you have a car, it's going to cost you 
you know, somewhere around $8,000 a year to, to operate. If families could downsize from two cars to one or even one car to none, that's a tremendous savings that can go towards other things. And you've brought up a part that I wanted to definitely focus on. And so let's actually go there now and talk about, you know, what are some of the economics of developing a trail? What are some of the things that civic leaders have to consider and community members have to consider when talking about trails and whether they'd be right for our community? Well, you know, there's no question that costs money to build trails, and there are different types of trails. There are natural surface trails, there are gravel trails, there are asphalt, concrete. Each one of those has its own cost to them. So you need to consider that. You also need to consider who owns the land that you want to build the trail on because you either have to acquire an easement, and that may mean compensating the landowner for providing you with that easement, or you acquire the property outright and you know purchase the property so it, it's yours. But building a trail can be anywhere from, let's say, $100,000 a mile if it's a natural surface trail to as much as a million dollars a mile if it requires a lot of man, land acquisition and uh, you know putting down uh, you know thick concrete for people to travel on. And just for comparison, roads and highways cost a lot more than that. <laughs> right. And let's let's not forget that all of the city and county's roads and highways and the state's highways are, are essentially rights of way that we took over as the pathways that led to the development of Milledgeville and our surrounding communities became paved. But one of the things we might have forgotten to do was leave a little space off the road as we made them into super highways. So really what we're trying to do is try to help people get away from truck traffic, from cars, from the noise and the bustle. And especially if you're on a bike, even though we have new improved safety regulations in Georgia, it's still not 100% safe to be out on a bicycle especially at dark or when the weather's bad. So we're looking for ways to help people get out, be active, maybe off the road. And so, as Jim said, uh, acquiring the right-of-way can often be expensive, but you have to understand that that was really just a lack of foresight because what we did was we took all the right-of-way that we already owned and transitioned it into the bustle of highways, and we forgot to leave anything for walkers. Could you expand this on right away just a little bit more just to make sure that our audience members understand exactly what you're talking about? For example, we're trying to build the Fishing Creek Community Trail. We've been working on that since certainly, certainly 2010, probably before mm -hmm. that. But the path of the trail goes along Fishing Creek, and you know the people that have property adjacent to the creek actually have their property line goes to the center line of the creek. So there's utilities that go along there as well. There's water and sewer lines. And so at some point, the city approached the landowners and said, okay, we need this easement to be able to put in water and sewer. And so the property owners granted that at some point. But now when you're talking about putting in another amenity that has a different use, then you have to go back to the landowners and get permission to do that. So again, that can be just a handshake agreement or a you know, a simple uh, form to sign, or it could be actual property negotiation where, you know, you're compensating the landowner for that use. One type of acquisition that typically has not been used in recreational trails for bikes and pedestrians is eminent domain. Most of these have not been taken from the landowner. It's almost always been an agreement between the community who's doing it 
and either fee simple acquisition, buying it outright, or some form of an easement, which is where the community would pay the landowner for access to essentially a lease to allow people across the property. Well, we're running out of time in this segment, so we're going to take a short break right now. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're talking about community trails and the development of those right here in Milledgeville, Georgia. I'm joined in the studio by Doug Otter and Jim Lidstone. So please stay tuned and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we're talking about community trails, community trails for uh, physical health, for safety, and for building community. I'm talking today with Jim Lidstone and Doug Otter, who have been involved in some of the trail building, shall we say, right here in our own community. Now, when we left in that last segment, we were kind of really getting into the nitty-gritty about some of the related conversations that come in with trails. We were talking about right-of-way, and I was commonly thinking about the right-of-way in the front of my house, uh, where we see our power lines, uh, where we see, may see natural gas lines, and other lines under there. We commonly will see, see people from the utility companies or the city working there. But you mentioned the Fishing Creek Community Trail. And those of our listeners who are familiar with Fishing Creek knows that it kind of winds its way westward from the um, Oconee River. A lot of people's property abuts to it in the rear. I'm wondering about what kind of conversations are going on right now as y'all are talking in building awareness about the Fishing Creek Community Trail. What, what is that first conversation like with someone whose property may abut this Fishing Creek Community Trail? The ultimate goal is to obtain permission from the landowner to actually uh, build the trail on their property. 
or to acquire the property so that it's it's no longer theirs. It belongs to the city or the county or whoever it is that's doing it. I guess the initial conversations are go to the landowner and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think about it? What kind of concerns do you have? Here are some examples of trails around the state where this has happened before. Oftentimes, landowners because they might not know what the end product will be, will be resistant to it. But you point out instances where people have gone from being opponents to proponents of it. And, you know, you just kind of approach it in that way and talk about the benefits. Benefits both possibly to them because of increase in property values and things like that, or conservation tax credits that they might get for donating land for recreational use and preserving it for the public good all the way to, you know, they have ready access to this that can uh, allow them to get to where they need to go. Jim has also been very successful in taking local leaders to go see trails around the state and around the country and helping expose them to the amenities and the benefits so that they're more aware of what the trade-offs are. And it is a very sensitive issue when you're asking someone for access to their private property. But one of the things that needs to be noted is that We do take it for granted that we want access in the front of our house. And historically, oftentimes people who live next to waterways, I mean, we don't remember this in our history, but that used to be the highway. The Oconee River was the highway with ships going up and down it. And in the case of the Central Georgia Rail to Trail, only 30 years ago, that was an active rail line. And there were trains, you know, spewing dust and coming by there making a lot of noise. Now that the trains have stopped running, they want to protect that sanctity for themselves. And so what we're really asking is to consider the individual rights to that privacy versus what we could do if we share it with the quarter million people who live in the area. Well, Jim, Doug had brought up that you've been working on the Fishing Creek Community Trail for 10 years, and I'm sure that's probably just a a drop in the bucket for some of the amount that's shared amongst this table for these kinds of projects. I'm wondering if you might talk about the evolution of thought that you've seen over that time, if there has been one. Well, yeah, I think that over the years, we've been gradually able to bring more partners to the table, more partners on board. Obviously, the city is critical in getting this done because they control the sewer easement, and that's where the trail is going to be built. Georgia Military College, I mean, the Greenway exists because Georgia Military College deeded that property over to the Oconee River Greenway Authority. And so that was how that all happened. You know, I think that's the best example right now of trails that we have in this community. However, you've got to uh, get in your car and drive down there, then get out of the car and then walk around in circles on the trails. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's beautiful down there and it's quiet, but the Fishing Creek Community Trail would extend that, as you said, you know, westward across the city all the way to the Baldwin County School property and the Industrial Park and Walter B. Williams Recreation Center once we get it all completed. Yes, that proposal alone is about 15 miles. Beginning to end, yep, yeah, that big loop sure mm-hmm. is, 14-something. Yeah. And that's not all. In, on paper, at least, we have plans to integrate Central State Hospital and the northern part of the county all the way up to the lake. And part of that would connect Carrington Woods to downtown through a variety of different access points, not Columbia, not Jefferson. And we're looking at streets headed down in the south part of town, like Swent Avenue, and maybe even making connectors out along Allen Memorial and other 
places on the on the southwest side as well. Because the idea is to try to get people from all the neighborhoods to the schools so that they can get their children to school safely. And I walked or rode my bike to school growing up, and I know there's a lot of parents here that would wish their children could do the same. But right now, based on where three of the four K-5 through schools are, it's not the easiest route. So Fishing Creek Trail would, it was intentionally designed to go through neighborhoods that had a lot of school-aged children so that we could get them to school safely. And obviously, you're talking about looping in a lot of communities, just a lot of different little communities within our larger community. And that's a lot of outreach work. When y'all are talking with people now, do they have an idea of what you're talking about on first glance, or does it take a lot of convincing? Unfortunately, at least for the rails to trails, if you look at the map of rails to trails routes, and a rail to trail is a place where there had been a railroad in the past. Oftentimes that railroad had been a gift from the federal or state government for it to be built. And then sometime, and this started when truck traffic started picking up in the 1950s, The rail line was abandoned because the railroad company operating it didn't have as many customers, and they discontinued or mothballed it. Now, when they do that, they're supposed to make a report on what could be the recreational and historic and environmental amenities that could come from that route. But oftentimes, it's up to the citizenry to ask for that. We have such a rail line here in Milledgeville running west all the way to Macon. And if you look around the state, there are over 60 rails to trails all around the state, but none within 80 miles of Milledgeville. So to respond to your question, I don't think people know what a rail-to-trail is unless they get out and travel 100 miles and go see one, like, for example, the Silver Comet Trail. Although they could go down to the Greenway and the first quarter mile of the Fishing Creek Trail is a rail trail, it isn't is. it? Yes. Yeah, Because it was uh, the rail line that serviced the old McMillan Brickworks when it was down there by the river. So we do have about, what, 400 yards or so <laughs> of a rail trail right here in the community. It's happened again, and we're out of time in this segment, so we're going to take another short break. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're talking about trail development for pleasure, for health, and for safety here in Milledgeville. I'm talking today with Jim Lidstone and Doug Otter. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us again today, we're talking about the development of community trails. I'm joined in the studio by Doug Otter and Jim Lidstone, and we've been talking just about some of the different facets of community trails in general, but also about how they work in the present and in the future here in Milledgeville and Baldwin County. Now, Throughout these last segments, interspersed in there, we've talked about some of the different reasons why people use these trails, physical health, safety, a way to get around town. But what are some of the benefits that we haven't talked about or I haven't asked you about throughout this conversation? Well, I think the economic impact is is a huge thing. When you look at a trail like the Silver Comet Trail, which goes from Smyrna, Georgia, all the way to the Alabama line, They have 1.9 million users a year. An economic impact study was done, and it shows that it brings back about $54 million locally to the community on an annual basis. 
So, you know, I don't know what the total cost of the Silver Comet Trail was back when it was built. I think we finished in 2006 or something like that, but it certainly returned its investment four, five, six-fold over those years. And people will come to a community. I mean, I've driven up to Smyrna a number of times to ride on the Silver Comet Trail. And so when I'm done, I'm probably buying gas, I'm buying some food, you know, whatever. And and so that comes back into the community. So if you have a substantial trail system or trail network like the Fishing Creek Trail, the Central Georgia Rail Trail, that will bring people from all over the Southeast to ride. And that is an economic benefit for the community. Not only people coming here, but people who already live here. Our feasibility study for the Central Georgia Rail to Trail estimates a quarter million people would be within striking distance of that trail. Many of them are already riding and already walking and maybe they're on horses or they're out with their strollers and they just don't have a place to go. And if we could get more people out working out and exercising, it relieves their stress. It makes them healthier. We have fewer hospital visits and we have more happiness in the community. And that's got to be a good thing. It's hard to measure necessarily, but these are the sort of things that businesses look for when they're looking to, to locate. They want to move someplace where there's something for their workers and their families to do. So what we're really talking about here is building up the community and connecting some of the places that we already have, like our park systems, our natural areas, and our historical areas. And if we can link those together, then we'll have all sorts of people coming out. One of the best places to go in the country to look for rails to trails and other pedestrian paths is in around northern Virginia and Washington, D.C., where there are long railroads and canals, and they connect some of the historic pathways. And you can ride your bike along the old CNO canal system, and you can go back in history and wonder what it was like to be moving west across the country. It's got to be an amazing thing for historical buff. I know. And to actually go back into my own personal history, I, my family is from central New York. And my grandfather, when we go up and visit him in Chittenango, New York, one of the things that we'd commonly do is take the bikes out and go along the Erie Canal mm -hmm. and ride for many, many miles just up and down this. I can't remember if we said it while we were interviewing or during one of the breaks, these historical highways. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, so much enjoyment doing that. He'll go out there for 35 miles at a time, well into his 70s, and, you know, just enjoy those pathways. Well, that is, Daniel, a type of recreation, and it's a very lucrative thing for those communities. You know, we're not on an interstate system here, so we're looking for other ways to bring economic development here besides the usual, you know, mass trucking and transportation. We're looking for some character, and this regional character is something that the community is already invested in because we have so much of it, and we're looking to add one more aspect that will help people get access to it and be able to utilize it on a daily basis. Yeah, every community is competing for probably the same companies to come in and set up shop and for retirees to come to the community. And so what do we have? Well, we've got some natural resources. We've got the river. We've got the lake. These trail system would, would only enhance that. So anything we can do to kind of tip the scales in our favor when particularly companies from Europe that are used to that kind of thing. And so if they hear that Milledgeville is a bicycle-friendly community and Milledgeville has these ambitious aspirations to create a, a network of trails, then who knows? That may be the thing that causes them to, you know, to choose us over another community. If people are listening to this program and considering this for the first time, how might they engage in this conversation in our community? The first thing to do is to get out and see it for firsthand. When I was involved with the Oak Mulgee Heritage Trail 
oh, 30 years ago or so, a lot of people told us that nobody's going to come. In Macon, right? In Macon, yep. sorry. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people said, oh, nobody's going to go down to the river. It's dirty. It's muddy. It smells bad. And 30 years later, you cannot keep people away from that trail. And it has now expanded. I think they're up to five miles, and it's going 15 miles plus. It's linking up the Indian Mounds, the National Monument, the Central City Park, all the way up to the new Amerson Park. And the parking lots are always filled. So get out and see what we're talking about. We're looking at a place where you can go get away from the noise, away from the traffic, out in nature. It's safe, it's clean, and it's efficient. After you've done that, share it with your friends, take your other friends with you. But what we really need, of course, is some political and economic support because these things do take political will. So it's important to talk to your local state and county representatives about what you've seen. Yeah, and the Greenway was a garbage dump too before uh, Literally. before it is what it is now. So it's become a you know, real jewel of the community. So we're getting close to the end of our time together today, but I thought I'd ask you about what are the next steps, either for the planning and organization on the end that y'all are working for, or just from the community and, and things that we might look forward to. One of the things we've seen with Central Georgia Rail to Trail is that people want to know a lot of details up front, and it's really hard to give details. We do have a feasibility study. It's now rather dated. So we're looking to develop one or more master plans where we can go to local leadership and say, this is what we envision. It's going to need to be slightly professionally done. And so we're asking for people to help us with that, because if we can put the vision in front of people, they begin to understand the idea, especially if they've never seen anything like it. So if you could share what you have seen with people who might be in a position to make a difference, that would be very helpful. So with the Fishing Creek Trail, we've relied on a lot of federal money, uh, whether the federal money comes through a transportation enhancement grant that the uh, Greenway Authority got a number of years ago or some smaller Department of Natural Resources recreational trails program grants that are federal dollars, fossil fuel tax dollars that come through the states and then are parceled out to communities on a competitive basis. That's the dollars that we've been subsisting on. Most of them require some sort of a local match as well, so the community does have some investment. But I think if you look at communities that have had the greatest success in building and building more quickly, uh, it's public-private partnerships. And so that's what we're hoping to do is, in addition to the city or the county, we'd like to get private individuals, private citizens, businesses, Georgia College involved in that as well. And, you know, together uh, we can do a lot more than we can do individually. GMC really did help make the, Absolutely. the uh, Oconee Greenway and the first part of the Fishing Creek Community Trail work. And if we hadn't had their support, it might not have gotten off yeah, the Yeah, if it wasn't for General Boylan, it never would have happened. And resources for people to learn more right now, if they hear this and either get out of the car or, you know, get on the cell phone, where might they find more resources to learn more about this conversation? You can learn more about the Central Georgia Rail to Trail Association at cgrta.org. And you can learn more about the nationwide movement at the Rails to Trails Conservancy website. There are hundreds of resources available. In addition, go look at the Atlanta Beltline, go look at the Silver Comet Trail, and go, go see what other communities have done. Do we really want Middle Georgia to be the only part of Georgia that doesn't have a rail to trail? Yeah, Columbus has two great examples. They've got the Riverwalk Trail, they've got the Fall Line Trace Trail. Augusta has a, a riverfront or Riverwalk Trail. So there's places, you know, go and see. Go and see what the possibilities are. If you take a walk on the Beltline, you will literally see 
thousands of people out there on a Saturday or a Sunday all through the week and then look at all of the development that's happened, uh, the old warehouses and things that were boarded up and abandoned, and now they're thriving uh, multi-purpose facilities with retail and residential and signs all over the place about Beltline living and just the sky's the limit for communities, I think. It's important to note that there are some challenges, but in every successful community, I mean, my favorite is the High Line in New York, where they took an upper level railroad and they have turned it into some of the most lucrative resources in the entire city of New York. And it has millions of visitors and people are flocking to it. So for every one of these challenges, there's many golden opportunities. Jim Litstone, Doug Otter, I want to thank you all very much for coming out today and talking to us about trail development and ways that we might be able to get in on this here in middle Georgia. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity, Daniel. It was nice talking with you. The pleasure is all mine. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we were talking about building community, improving physical health and safety through the development of community trails. I was joined in the studio by Doug Otter and Jim Lidstone. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections. And I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.